For those that don't know me, my name is Greg Simnor and I am the senior pastor here um, at The Rock and just really want to welcome you all here today. Um, I really just want to ask us all just to not write off any of the things that I say straight away and just allow yourself to process some of the things that you hear. Um, Some of the things I am going to say today won't be logical to our logical minds. Um, And so if I can just ask you to keep an open mind. And as I share, what I'm hoping for is that just as I do share some You'll be inspired or provoked just to ask some questions, some of the deeper questions around life. And you might go away from here today and go, what was that all about? That was some things I'd never heard before, because the reality is that we all have our own perspective when it comes to spiritual matters, don't we? We've all come from our own backgrounds. We've all had our own experiences. Uh, We've all been educated in some way. Um, We can listen to media and facets of media. And so we have this perception of maybe God or not God. We have a perception of of, a belief system. And I'm very much aware of that today. And as I I share, I guess I just really want to share from my heart to yours. I don't want to preach. I don't want to teach. I just want to tell my story. I want to share my journey with you, which started um, sort of uh, at the age of 21 but I guess really became apparent when I was 29. And so that's what we're going to look at today, if that's, if that's cool. Because um, encountering God at the age of 29 was the most transformative thing that's ever happened to me. Transcending thing, compelling thing that's ever happened to me as a person. And to find a love like that, you just won't find it here on earth. You can't find it in a mum and a dad that love a child so passionately that have gone through some things. And I, you know, Danielle and I have also lost a child, our first child, and, and the pain that comes with it and the love you have. But, you know, the reality is that God loves us all more than that. God loves you and I with a passion that burns, that hurts him, even more than a parent, if you can fathom that. And so that's what we're going to look at today. But, you know, I was born in this place called Liverpool, I was a scouser, talk with a funny twang like that. Beetle country, you know. <laughs> and um, I grew up in a loving home. It wasn't a God home. It had, God wasn't in it. We never prayed. We never even said grace. Didn't even know what that was. We just got stuck into the food. And um, you know, God was just not there in our home. Brought up with two incredibly loving parents. They loved us unconditionally, passionately, created an amazing environment to grow up in. Um, and I've got two great brothers and we're a very close-knit family, but God was not part of that picture. Um, but mum and dad brought us up with Christian values. You know, they brought us up to respect people and to love people and to love them. And it was a healthy environment, and we really didn't lack anything at all. We immigrated to uh, New Zealand in 1976. Uh, we got on, that, by that stage, they had planes. So it was the plane, not the boat. <laughs> Thank goodness for that, because I can't imagine sort of uh, eight weeks on a boat with my brothers. But anyway, um, we got on a plane and we uh, landed in Auckland and then we lived in Hawke's Bay in Napier. Anyone from Napier here? Come on. It's an anointed place, <laughs> isn't it, the Hewitsons? But, um, you know, as you, as you land and you're, you're sort of eight years old in Napier and there's not too many Liverpudlians that talk with a funny twang um, and we got into a lot of skirmishes because we were different. You know, we got into a lot of fights because, you know, when you, when you talk like that and people are going, what's he saying? Can't you, can you understand him? I mean, who could understand Ian when he spoke in his Glaswegian accent? And so we got into a lot of fights. Um, and we never started them, of course. 
But um, <laughs> although I never had or we never had um, a, a, a Christian environment, I always just had, and I can't tell you why, but there was this innate belief that there was a God. I've come to know now as I've actually met him and journey with him that I believe he put that in my heart. Um, the Bible says that he puts the, his laws on our hearts. Um, and I had this innate belief that there was a God. I would constantly think, you know, there has to be more to life than just having a family, getting married, going to work, going on holiday, playing sport. There just has to be more to life than that because if that's all there is and then you die, I would think, what a waste of time. 80 years approximately, 75 years approximately, and then die, what a waste. There's got to be more. I don't know what it was, but I thought there has to be more. And I remember probably at a 15-year-old, 16-year-old, I'd look at my hand and I'd sort of, you know, when you move your hand, I'd look and I'd see all the tendons move and the muscles move and, and how the fingers move. And it's just so easy. And I'd think, there's got to be someone behind this design. There has to be something that created this to work. And I remember once, you know, cutting myself. It wasn't a big cut. And just literally the, the cut healing itself. And who's behind this design? And I guess although I had this innate sort of belief system, um, it had no significant in my life as far as it outworking itself in my life. I was creating my own pathway uh, from my own experiences, like most people do, their own, uh, I guess, their own thinking, their own wisdom. Up until the 23rd of December 1997, at 10 a.m. in the morning, when I encountered a real, breathing, living God in a powerful way that spun my life around 180 degrees. And I'm just going to keep. I'm going to get to that encounter as we go through. Um, but there's a truth that this book speaks about, and it says this in a book called Proverbs. It says, "There is a way that seems right to a man or a woman, but in the end it leads to death." There is a way that seems right to us. There was a right that seemed right to me. A way that seemed right to me. And I've come to realize that there are actually these two pathways. From the day, well, before we're even born, there's God's pathway for our lives and then there's our pathway. And I was brought up for a long time just into my pathway. So my parents' thoughts, their wisdom was, was raising up and though, but the reality was there was always this other pathway that was God's pathway for me. And when I read the scripture, there is a way that seems right. There's always a way that seems right to us. But it ends in death. And part of my story is just trying to go around different pathways, trying to find the right one, but it always ended in a concrete wall and a lot of pain and a lot of hurt until I found the right pathway, God's pathway. And my life started to have meaning. It started to have purpose. It started to have passion. It started to have hope. It started to have peace and joy. And you know what, guys? It was real and is real. It's just some nice words in a, in a book that you read. With what Ian and Karen have gone through, they found something tangible to hold on to. It's real. And I've called this talk The Road to Redemption. 
And as a family, uh, we moved from Napier in 1987 to the metropolis of Fielding. Um, <laughs> it's called Friendly Fielding. I don't know if it is, but <laughs> no, it is. Um, I did eight months of my seventh form year there. And really, it was the first time that I met some Christian people, if you like, because, um, you know, growing up, we were always playing football on a Sunday, and, and you know, Christians were just weird. I don't know about anyone else, but they were bizarre people that wore socks and sandals and cardies and stubby shorts and just thought, we just, I can't relate to any of those people. And they sing funny songs and boring songs, you know, like really slow and quiet. And, like, and um, we thought, that's not us. And, and, but I met these people that were Christians, and, and they didn't reflect what was in my head. I said before, we all have perceptions of, of what things are, don't we? And these people, they didn't uh, relate or reflect my, my wrong perspective. They were normal, <laughs> whatever normal is, I don't know. But, and you know, through meeting these, these people, I actually started to go out um, with this girl that was a Christian, and, and uh, we went out for three years. And over the next eight years, I'd find myself um, crying out to God in prayers of, of real desperation, and he would come and reveal himself over the next eight years to me, um, and that I would discover the creator of everything. but I had to choose him. He won't force himself upon you, me. I had to choose him, but he would come. And two years into this relationship with this girl, I, we found ourselves in a situation that, that wasn't really that good. And um, it was the first time that I had genuinely, if you like, tapped into this innate belief system that was there. And I said, God, if you can get me out of this situation that I find myself in, I promise I'll, I'll, I'll investigate more and I'll follow you. I'll find out more about who you are and I'll, and I'll be true to what this thing is in me. And God answered that prayer. The reality was I didn't follow through in my promise. He got me out of this jam and I just continued. I said, thanks very much. And I decided I was going to go my own way at the age of about 19, 19, 20. It was at this point that I was about to encounter the reality of God in a much stronger way. Because I was the one, you know, I went out with this, this person for another year and then I decided that's it and I broke it off. Um, and what really gutted me the most was that I broke it off, but I was hurting more than she was. <laughs> I couldn't figure that out. This isn't right. I'm supposed to, I'm, I'm dumping you and you're supposed to hurt and you're supposed to come after me. And, and that's how it's supposed to work, isn't it? That wasn't my reality. She was okay. I'm hurting. It wasn't quite my picture. I thought, what has this person got that I haven't got? And she had this person called God in her life, called Jesus. And he was real and he was tangible. And she had a hope in something that I didn't. And it started to stir my heart. What was happening and what was, what was happening right there in my, my mum and dad's life, which I didn't realise was that, um, and they'd moved to Dunedin by this stage, is that my father was starting to ask some of those questions, those big questions, what am I doing here? Is there more to life than, than what I see? And he was made to go um, to an Anglican church at the age of sort of, you know, six till about ten, just to, I think his mum and dad wanted to get him out of the house. 
Um, and so he had some sort of rough background, but he started searching and asking some of these questions. And, and um, through that process, my father at the age of 53 made a decision to follow Christ. And so what happens is, a, and I remember it was really quite funny, because I remember my mum and my mum and dad are broad Liverpoolians. We lost my dad last year, but um, you know, my mum she, she said these words. She said, "That's fine for you, Alan, but it's not for me." <laughs> she said, "I'm happy. I don't need. I don't need God. Got a great husband. Got great kids. Got a great job. We're successful. We're financially. We got everything. I don't need your God, but you go. That's fine." Well, it's quite funny, really, because about two months later, in a meeting, something like this one, my mum went with my dad, and the power of God came into that meeting and just hit her like a lightning bolt and flattened her out, and she was weeping and broken. And in a moment in time, just turned like that and decided that she needed God as well. So they invite me. I'm working by this stage, and they invite me down to the Needham for two weeks. I'm going, oh, my goodness, my mum and dad have become Christians. What's it going to be like for two weeks? So I get down there, and they're pretty excited about their newfound faith, and, and you know, there's this sort of lights in their eyes. And I remember my younger brother pulling me to the side, and he said, Greg. I said, what, Marty? He says, they've got mum. <laughs> they've got dad. They're going to get me. <laughs> You're okay, you're in Palmerston North, they're coming after me. I said, we'll be okay, bro, let's stick together. You know? <laughs> and I remember my mum and dad giving me this video at the time because all the DVDs went around and I looked at this and I said, what's this? And it was a story about a man by the name of Ian McCormick. And Ian's been here, he's spoken here and we're good friends now. Um, and it's amazing how, how, how God aligns things. But this man has this incredible story and if you'd like we have we have it on a dvd once again if you'd like to listen to the story feel free to go grab one out there from the guys at the info counter and take it away and watch it pass it on but his story is that he's, he's, an, he's an average sort of kiwi guy farmer sort of guy uh, spent time at lincoln university got a degree and then went to mauritius to surf the world and to just live it up big and party and do all those things and smoke drugs everything you can basically do he did it but he, while he's diving one night, he, he has an encounter where he gets stung by five box jellyfish. And if you don't know, box jellyfish are the most second deadliest poisonous uh, animal to, to man. And one is enough to kill you within 10 minutes, and he's got five that hit him as he's diving on his arm. And as you can imagine, in Mauritius, the hospital's not that great. And Anyway, what happens, he actually dies, and they pronounce him dead at the hospital, and he's dead for 20 minutes. And he has an out-of-body experience where he gets taken to heaven and hell. And he has this visitation with God. And he talks about throughout this whole thing this incredible light that he saw. And, you know, grab the, the DVD because it's amazing. But he talks about this light and this love as he's in, the, he's in this place or just outside of this place, which I believe was paradise. And he, I was just consumed. And as I watched this DVD and... There's just a, he's just sharing, I'm just locked into the TV. It was about two hours, and I'm feeling every emotion. I'm, I'm crying, I'm laughing with him. And something was starting to be stirred in my heart as I watched this man talk about this love. And He's just an ordinary bloke like me. Never known God, never been brought up with it. But what he's saying I know is real. And so I remember uh, that night sort of, excuse me, going to bed and, I was stirred. I was like, man, 
I know this, this person I went out with knew you gone. My mum and dad now have made a commitment to you. What is this? And I remember like this like it was yesterday. And I said this with, with everything I could muster. I said this, if you are real, like this guy said you're real, then I want to know. I want you to show yourself to me. And if you show yourself to me, I'll follow you. How many people know that's maybe not the wisest thing to say to God? He has a way of sort of going, really? He certainly did that night. Because I didn't know. See, I had no understanding of this book. I'd never read anything in it. I didn't realize, but in this book it says, if you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. I didn't realize God, he's never been lost, and he wanted to engage with me. And you know what, guys? That night I was seeking him with this like a radar missile. I wanted to know. It was almost aggressive in my heart, if that makes sense. If you're real, I want to know. And I remember going to sleep, and then I woke up at 3 a.m. in the morning. And I know it was 3 a.m. because I just sort of turned my head and I looked at the alarm clock. And then I, I'm in the bed. I'm lying here like this. My head's here, if this makes sense. And I'm look, And as I look up and into the window is this massive, perfect, white light that's beaming forth into my room and lighting my room up. Now, you've got to understand, it wasn't someone with a torch at the window (laughs) playing games because the house that we lived in in Dunedin was built into the side of the hill. And so if you went into the garage, actually you could see the dirt, it was coming into into the, into the, the garage. But when we opened the curtains, about a meter away, it was just hillside, just total hillside. I'm going, this is you, God. This is you. And you've come in the form of light that I heard about on the video. My heart is pounding by this stage. And this light is just beaming forth. And I don't know, it's almost like everything just stopped. And everything went still. Is this real? Is this real? What I also didn't know, which I've come later to discover by reading the book, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Who who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And I believe Jesus Christ was in my room that night in the form of this light going. He didn't come in the form of, you know, the picture of him in a beard and walking around going, hey. He said, I'm listening to this thing. I'm light. I'm light. I'll get your attention. I'll come in the form that you listened, that you heard about me in. I woke up in the morning and, you know, I couldn't, oh, well, I couldn't even get back to sleep. You know, you're sort of like, oh, oh what was that? What just happened? And I don't know, it was about 7 o'clock in the morning. I burst through into my mum and dad's room. <laughs> They're sleeping. I jumped on the bed, wake up, wake up. And I'm like, what's going on? I said, God's real. And they said, what? I said, God is real. And I'm grabbing my dad. And he's like, oh. He said, oh, I know he is, son. I said, you don't know. You don't know. Like, I know he's real. I said, he came to me last night. And they're like, what are you talking? I said, Kane, he was in my room. I was so pumped, as you can imagine. <laughs> they're like, Lillian, he's real. Jesus is real. He's waking my mum up. It was phenomenal. And I remember just having this, this sense of being in awe and alive for four to six weeks and being so like on fire. I started going to a couple of services, but after about six, seven weeks, 
did I, did I see that? Did I really see that? And I started to doubt myself. And I guess maybe because the feeling started to just diminish a little bit. But somehow deep down I still knew it was real. But I didn't follow him. I said, if you get me out of this jam, God, I'll follow you. He got me out of the jam. I'm down to need and I pray a prayer. And I said, if you show yourself, I'll follow you. But I didn't follow him. God was faithful. I wasn't. I want to fast forward now about two or three years. And I'm in Palmerston North. And this is where it gets a little bit embarrassing. But um, <laughs> let me just take a bit of water first. I know you never believe this because the hair is all falling off and Everything's sort of going south. It used to stay up. And, but uh, <laughs> I used to do a bit of modelling. Um, <laughs> and I worked for, I was with the Evening Standard, which is a newspaper selling advertising. And, uh, you know, the guys in the editorial would, would get clothes and they'd say, hey, can you come model some clothes? We can do a write-up. I said, yeah, cool, no problem. And so, yeah, I'm sort of in the paper. It's quite bizarre seeing yourself in the paper, you know. <laughs> That's how Johnny walks around all day. Um, but um, I got invited to, to uh, do this fashion parade. It was every year. It was a big thing in Palmerston North. And I said, yeah, no, no problem. It'd be great. You know? and anyway, I thought I got this great idea. And part of this fashion parade is I had to model underwear. And um, so I thought, man, I'm, I'm lily pasty white. I need to get brown. And so I said, so I'm going to go on a sunbed. I thought, that's cool. I'll get brown on a sunbed. You know? and first time was fine. Second time on a sunbed. It's okay, and I realized I got home, and next morning I woke up, and I had this rash sort of just under my arms, on my back, pretty much sort of all over my top torso. It was like they had these like little pimples, little things, and I was like, what on earth is that? I'm not going to look good. And I thought, Dan Carter, look out, you know. But anyway, um, <laughs> this isn't going to be a good look. And I went to the doctors, as you do, and you know, he looks at me and says, well, I've never seen that before. And I'm like, oh, great. You know, and he's getting out his manual about this thick and looking for every African thing he can find. I'm like, oh, He said, I'll try this cream. I'm sure this will do it. Well, I put the cream on, nothing. I'm back there the next week. I said, mate, look, it's getting worse. And you know you get really worried when you're looking at the doctor's eyes and you know he hasn't got a clue what's going on. And you're the guinea pig that he's trialing stuff out on. Well, four creams later... It wasn't going away. And I'm a bit vain by the stage. I'm, you know, I'm like, I want to look good for this fashion show. And I, you know, this, I'm being honest this morning. I said, God, I said, if you can get me out of this jam, if you can heal this thing, I'll follow you. <laughs> and I said it like that. I'll follow you. If you can help me out of this thing. I threw the creams away. Three days later, it was all gone. I'm like, who are you? Do you think I followed him? No, oh, you have little faith. <laughs> You're right, though, I didn't. Isn't that terrible? I didn't follow him. I thanked him on with my own life again. See, I wanted to stay in control of my life. I could do a better job than you could do, God. I was trying to control my own will, my own destiny, where I was going. And I thanked him, but he wasn't going to get in the way of stopping that. Because I had some dreams, and I thought, man, I've, I, can, I can run it better than you do. Man, was that a lie. Another year later, I got married in 1994 and uh, went back to England uh, for sort of the whole 
big OE experience and go back and watch the, the Mighty Reds play football and catch up with my aunties and my uncles and my cousins and all that. And you know, I had a good time, but I'd only been there about four months. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I get a phone call. That's my father. He says, Greg, are you sitting down? I said, yeah. He said, I've just been diagnosed with bladder cancer. I said, you're what? He said, I've just been diagnosed with bladder cancer. He said, it's about the size of a pool ball. He said, I don't want you to come home. I said, I know you've been looking forward to all this. And said, but I'll give you a call. I've got to go have some tests and I'll give you a call and let you know how bad it is. They don't know if it's spread, um, but I've got to go in. So I'm like, great. He says this to me. He says, Grace, you think you could pray for me that God would heal me? I'm like, God, Dad, I can pray, but I ain't got a great track record with God. <laughs> he comes when I pray, but I don't follow him, and I don't know if I'm going to, I don't deserve it, but I'm desperate, I'm desperate. He's desperate, I'm desperate. I say, I'll pray. You know, it wasn't some flash prayer. It was just God. I love my dad. Would you heal him? You know what God did? But I didn't follow him. It was incredible. I remember my dad goes in and he um, he has the scan the day before the operation and they see the, the tumour in, in his bladder. And the surgeon shows him and he says, here it is. This is what we're going to do. That's cool. And um, that night, my dad got some people round and they laid hands on The Bible says if you lay hands on the sick, they'll recover. And people laid hands on my dad and they believed for a healing. And they prayed that next day my dad wakes up and he's, he comes out of the operation, comes forth, and there's no tubes anywhere, there's no monitors anywhere. And as the surgeon looking at him, bewildered. And my dad first freaks out and says, oh, could you not do anything? He says, it wasn't there. <laughs> he says, hey. <laughs> he says, the tumour wasn't there, Mr. Simner. We looked for 45 minutes and it was gone. There wasn't a trace of anything. My dad breaks down. He tries to share. And of course, you know, the surgeon, oh, well, you've got your faith. That's nice. But um, science tells me it's probably going to come back. <laughs> Never came back. Didn't come back. My dad rings me up and he's so ecstatic on the phone. He says, son, God's healed me. And I said, I prayed, Dad. I remember putting the phone down and thanking God and crying. But I still didn't follow him. I still didn't follow him. It was the fourth time that I'd seen God work in my life in incredible ways. But as I said, I still wanted to be in control. And in 1997, we returned me and my ex-wife returned to New Zealand and moved down to Wellington at the beginning of the year. And my marriage started to go belly up. Things went great when we were in England. Um, we came back, we married for three and a half years, and we were living together but just really existing together in a house. <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever done that, but it's not great where you're with someone but you're not really with them. Excuse me, I'll just... Basically, what happened was we, um, we were in a flat and my wife moved out and said, you know, in two weeks' time I'll be back. But she never came back. And um, 
It was at that point that everything really started to spiral out of control for me. I'd never felt pain like it at all. And, you know, I just wasn't going to deal with that. I wasn't going to deal with that pain because I knew that was, gonna, that was just going to be horrible. So I threw myself into the Courtney Place scene. I don't know if you've ever done that, if you've been down there, it's a party central. And I was just there, I was going to the pub every Friday, Saturday night, um, hanging out, just avoiding the pain. I suppressed it, I wanted to ignore it, but something inside of me, a little voice called a conscience was saying, you know, Greg, at some point in time, you're going to have to deal with this. It wasn't forceful, it was just a little whisper, you're going to have to deal with this. And when I started to deal with it, all hell broke loose. It was just unbelievable. The pain was so intense. You know, I guess, I don't know, my mum and dad, they wouldn't be married for 47 years this year. And I think just the pressure of, of, of being in that environment per se, of, I'm not going to be divorced, I'm not going to be one of those people. You know, this has been modelled to me. And I think just that pressure alone, I didn't want to, you know, it was just, I didn't want to deal with it. I couldn't deal with that. They were awesome through it, but life tended to go so dark so quickly overnight like that. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where you wake up and everything is just foggy. You don't want to get out of bed. You don't even want to live. And I wouldn't have killed myself, but I I thought, you know, if a bus hit me, I'm out of here, and at least I'm free from the pain. I've never been in that place, and I never, ever want to go back there. I remember, you know, I'd get up and, and go to work at Rebel Sports. I was I was working there at the time in the fitness and golf department. I'd last about an hour and I'd be home. I'd just be a mess. It's not too good when people come in and want to buy fitness gear and you break down in front of them. <laughs> what can you tell me about this driver? All <laughs> I asked about was the driver. <laughs> You know, it was quite funny because it was at this point that my younger brother, I love my younger brother Marty, he's always getting me in trouble, but uh, he'd been invited to partake in this thing called Man O' Man. And uh, he said, no, no, I'm not going to do it, but my older brother will do it. <laughs> and I get a phone call uh, at work and there's this guy saying, hey, mate, I hear you want to be involved in Man O' Man. I'm like, what on earth is Man O' Man? He said, oh, it's this competition where there's six guys and you've got to perform in front of 200, 250 women uh, and you just got to entertain them, sing. There's a bit of a question thing, maybe a bit of a strength test and all this sort of stuff. You know, I'm like, no, nah, I don't want to do that. He said, oh, your younger brother, Marty, said you'd be into it. And I think Marty was just probably just trying to cheer me up. You know, he saw how much just a misery I was and I thought, oh, I'll have a laugh and see if I can cheer him up, you know. So anyway, he's doing a sales pitch and I'm like, no, 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 no. And then you know what he hooked me with? He said, there's $500 cash if you win. <laughs> I said, what do you have to do again? <laughs> so cut a long story short, I entered this thing called Man O' Man out at the Angus in Lower Hutt. <laughs> and, um, you know, the reality was it was, it was a fun night. I mean, I, you know, I, I sung, um, as I say, I did the strength test, and, and there were questions you had to answer, and, and there were judges and all that. And it was... It was fun. It was also quite scary at times. Um, yeah, in front of all those women and stuff. But, you know, I ended up, cut long story short, I ended up winning this competition and got the $500 cash and a couple of bottles of wine. And I met someone there that night that 
maybe you could say shouldn't have been there. But she was. She was an attractive girl. And she said to me, hey, do you want to go for a drink tomorrow night down at Dockside? And I said, yeah, cool. I'm into that. No problem. I, it was part of my regular hangout anyway. So I said, yep, I'll be going down there. And this is when I discovered that God really was a master chess player and that he had an incredible sense of humor. Because whether you believe it or not, I know that God started working me like a, like a, a chess piece. As I, uh, that happens there and that happens there. He'll decide to do that. He'll end up there and then he'll meet this person. And I remember turning up at Dockside, you know, I got my gears on as you do. And, you know, I'm thinking, you know, I'm just avoiding all that stuff. And this girl says, introduce me to these people. She says, oh, these are my Christian friends. <laughs> <laughs> are you a Christian? She said, yeah. I said, what were you doing there last night then if you were a Christian? She said, well, my girlfriend rang me up and asked me if I wanted to go, and I didn't really know if I should go or not, and I really felt like torn. I was like, oh, and my girlfriend, you know, she, she's not a Christian. I thought, oh, I'll go with her and just see how it goes. I was like, wow. And she said to me, these people, she said, oh, this, this, is, this person's on staff, and I met Jackie O'Dwyer and her husband. Oh, these guys are okay. And I'm there, you know, and he's here this morning, and I don't want to embarrass him, but... The senior pastor at the time was down at Dockside, and I saw him, and she goes, oh, there's the senior pastor too. And he walking past, and I can remember this like it was yesterday with a bottle of Heineken in his hand. And I was like, you what? What are you guys doing here? She said, well, why not? And I don't know whether Anthony remembers this or not, but I was sort of had about 10 minutes with him, and I said, so what's with the thing with the beer? And he just explained that away, and I went, that's cool. These guys weren't weird. These guys were normal. I could relate to them. Oh, man, this is pretty cool. And I know God used that. It's another night where God was trying to say, Greg, trying to get my attention, trying to get my attention. The next few weeks were probably the most confusing weeks of my entire life. And what started to happen was my my ex-wife would call me up at random times in the night, early hours of the morning, and just be sending these confusing messages, asking me how I was doing, how I was coping. She'd tell me how she was doing. And hope started to rise in my heart because I wanted to give this thing a go. I, I thought if, if I get an opportunity, I'm actually really going to give it a go. Although somehow deep down, I knew it wouldn't work. But I wanted to give it a go. I remember it was sort of like, Three or four weeks this went on, and I thought, what is going on, God? Does this girl want to get back together? Does she not? Because it was like one minute was all on, then it wasn't. And it was just very confusing, once again, very cloudy and very dark. And I'm at a point, once again, of desperation. And I'm speaking to my mum. This is a Sunday night. And she said, Greg, do you want to pray about it? I'm like, man, I'm so desperate. I'll pray. And once again, I screamed to God. Like I screamed that night when I was in Dunedin. I said, God, I just need an answer. I need an answer one way. Is this thing finished? Can I move on? Because I knew I needed to start dealing with this pain. Or are you going to do something? Are you going to rebirth it now? It's like, why is she calling me? Why are we getting back together? And I remember thinking, you know what? I don't deserve this. I knew I didn't deserve it. I said, but God, if you can find mercy in your heart for me one more time and give me answer, I'd, 
I just, I need it. And the next 12 hours would be the most incredible 12 hours of my life where I'd receive a massive revelation of God's love, his grace, a revelation of my own sin and my own imperfect nature and the enormity of what he had done on the cross for me when he allowed himself to be crucified. Eternal life was about to be revealed to me, the reality of that. And he would fill me with his life-giving power and passion for what he loves. And my heart was about to be transformed inside out. I went to work at Rebel Sport at 10 a.m. that morning. I was in the James Smith building. And I'm just in there doing some things. I think I was putting some prices on some golf gloves or something. And the phone rings. And in the James Smith, they had pillars like this, and the phone was on the wall. And as I just go to grab, and I grab the phone off the, off the wall, and I pick it up, and I say, good morning, uh, Rebel Sport Greek speaking. It's my ex-wife on the phone. And I prayed that God would answer that prayer, sort out, and she'd call me, and we'd get things sorted out. She says, Greg, it's me. She says, can you come around tomorrow night? We need to talk, and I need to be honest about a whole lot of things and sort this out. I said, yep. Now, this is where I can't explain what happened when I picked that phone up fully because it was a supernatural encounter, but when I grabbed that phone, there was just like this explosion. When I heard her voice and, and I knew God had answered my prayer again, there was an explosion in my heart. The Bible says that we must be born again. That's the phrase, spiritually born again to enter the kingdom. I had a born again experience. It was like the, what I just read out, those things, the revelation of God's love, his grace just went boosh into my heart. And I had something that was so tangible and real it was a substance that was not there in my life one second before I picked that phone up. I had an encounter with God. I can't prove this, but if you meet people that knew me beforehand, they meet me today, they look at me and go, you're doing what now? <laughs> but you were that guy. I know, it's crazy, eh? But I had a tangible experience of Jesus Christ. You know what? Once again, I didn't have a clue at the time, but when I started reading this book, I read people that had the same experience that are in here. I met a person. I didn't meet a religion. So many people have been brought up with religion, and they think it's God. It's not God at all. Man-made rules didn't meet those. Didn't mean I met a person, a living, breathing person. I knew in an instant he was the answer to everything. I remember saying, who are you? I wasn't saying this audibly. I said this in my heart. I said, who are you and what is this? And he said, I am Jesus Christ, Greek, and I love you and want you to get to know me because I created you to know me and be in a living relationship with me, not only for now but for eternity. I have plans and purposes for your life that you will discover if you choose to follow me. And I remember saying to him, God, how can you love me? That's not possible. How can you love me? 
said, I've prayed to you four times. You've healed my father. You've come. You've got me out of this situation. I find myself out of my own dumbness and my own pride and my own ego back in a situation again. How on earth can you love me? You know what he said to me? He said, Greg, my love's not of this world. I don't love like my people love. He said, you know what, I still would. If if you'd still turn away from me right now, I would still come back to you the next time you cried and the next time and the next time and the next time because I love you with a love you've never experienced before and it's unconditional. It has no conditions. I'm just wanting and longing for you to make a choice to follow me, but it's your choice. guys ever received a love that you know you don't deserve? Have you ever received mercy from someone that you know you don't deserve? That messes with you. I said, God, I've got to get to know you. You know who popped up into my mind? Him. I'm so thankful for this man. Because, you know, he was in a place that a lot of Christians never dare to go because of what they think or feel, what they think the church might think of them. But Anthony Walton's face was right here, and God brought that to me, and I said, I've got to find this man in the community that he pastors. And I made my way here on the 24th of December, 1997, at a Christmas Eve service to hear words from this man who said, that Jesus loves you with such a passion and that we have broken relationship with him, but he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross to reconnect you back to him. I was sitting right here. I mean, I was about an hour early before the service <laughs> waiting in that car park. I literally ripped the door off the hinges to get in here. Now, I remember crying that night so much. In fact, they've probably got some of the residue down on the carpet here. <laughs> And not only was it the tears of, of pain that was being released from my heart of my marriage breakup and my eight years of just not following God, but I was releasing my will. I was releasing me and the control over my life to him. It was like an emptying out process where I was so spent that I had nothing left. I've never cried like that. I mean, literally, this will be gross, but I had snot running down my whole face down here. And they went and must have gone through about three of those teeth. I'm just like, and the power of God was just on me, guys. It was so real and so tangible. You know, people say to me, how do you know it's real? How do you know it's real for you? And I say, imagine this. Imagine the greatest experience you've ever gone through. Times that by 50. I say, have you got that? And they go, yeah. You got the experience of that? They go, yeah. I said, imagine someone now coming to you and saying, I don't think it was real. Here's another option. Have a read of this. And yet you know you've experienced the pain or the joy and the emotion of that experience. Imagine telling a woman she never gave birth and going, you didn't really give birth. And her going, I really did give birth. And you're going, no, you didn't. Here's another. This is actually what really happened to you. 
That is how tangible that I know what happened to me that night. Because my heart has been transformed. There's a love there that wasn't there before. There is a meaning and a joy and a peace and a passion that wasn't there before. That night was so transforming. And what was interesting, I remember asking my ex-wife, and I said to her, I said, why did you call me up that day? She said, I was flying back from the place where she was, back to Wellington with this guy she was with. And she said, you just popped into my, my mind. Don't know why. Something just was tugging me, so I need to call you. I met her up that night. She'd been seeing someone else. Part of the reason she was calling me up was because this guy was mucking her around and she was trying to make herself feel better using me to do it. Man, that hurt. But you know what? There was something bigger now on the inside of me that had happened to me. The Bible says this, that God will give us his beauty for our ashes. And this was the start of the process for me. I was giving him my ashes in return for his beauty. How many people think that's a good exchange for God? Great for us, isn't it? Here you go. Here's my brokenness and here's my patheticness. He has my son. But you know what? That's the type of love that is available to us all. I'll just wrap this up, you know. I've been walking with him now for 13 years. Walking, talking, communing with him. I've discovered that Jesus is in the business of restoring lives. Not only restoring them and putting them back together, but releasing newness like you've never lived before. And I stand before you today, and I mean this with all my heart. I look back and I look at my past, and I don't even recognize the person that that was. It was like it literally was not me. It was a good friend of mine that went through a horrific time. That's what it's like for me now. God has taken those ashes and built me back together on a process and a journey over the last 13 years to a point where I stand before you now <laughs> leading a community of people that I found 13 years ago. It still scares me. I'm married to an amazing woman. Got two beautiful <laughs> little girls. I never thought I'd get married again. And I never thought I'd have kids. But he's restored that. I would never go back to knowing him. I'd die before you rob me of him. Literally, I mean that. He's put something in me so big. I can never, I cannot live without him in my life. Now, it's the hardest thing I've ever done, but it's the most rewarding. And I can't imagine living life without him. Anyone and everyone can experience the reality of God's redemptive power. Doesn't matter what you've done or who you've become. God is the God of unlimited chances. Over and over and over again. And you know, like you just have to pick up this book called the Bible and you'll see men and women that fell short. You'll see an incredible king called King David who committed adultery and murder. And because he asked for forgiveness and he 
Bible calls the world repented. He turned around and walked into Christ. God forgave him, continued to build his whole kingdom on him. You'll see a man by the name of Peter who was one of the guys that the early church, he started an amazing apostle who denied Jesus three times to his face. And God said, I'm still going to use you to build my kingdom. In fact, Jesus went back looking for him. After he was resurrected, Peter went back to fishing because he was gutted and just devastated that he denied him. And Jesus goes back into Peter's past and says, come on, we're coming into your future. And that's what Jesus has done for me, and he'll do it for you. If you choose him, if you allow him. Jesus said this, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never go thirsty. And I just want to ask you this morning, are you hungry, are you thirsty? For love, joy, peace, patience, purpose, meaning. Guys, I tried to do this on my own for way too long. Over eight years, God came to me five times just as a sign to say, Greg, I'm real. I'm real. I'm real. I'm here. The Bible says his arm is never too short. And I just imagine God, he's just constantly has one arm down like this, pointing down towards earth. Just saying, do you want to grab hold of it today? Do you want to grab hold of it now? Jesus said this himself. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. He said, no one can come to my Father but except through me. Because I'm the only one that died and then rose again. I encountered, guys, a living God in 1997, 23rd of December. You know what's amazing about that date? <sighs> My first little girl was born on the 23rd of December. It's like God just saying to me, Greg, this is your next generation. This is the next seed. This is the fruit that will continue to go forth and proclaim this message into this world that needs me so much. Man, I was so lost and so broken through my own dumb decisions. And I hope that if you don't know him this morning, that you never have to go to the place that I went to to realize that he's real. But if you do, just scream from your heart because he says, if you scream, you seek me, you'll find me. I just, if you, really, if you want to make a decision today, if you, you're here today and you say, you know what? I want to encounter that God. I want that to be real. I, I'm at the end of this road. Then let's just close our eyes. I'm just going to pray a very simple prayer. And if you want that today, then just repeat these words after me. Just You don't have to speak them out loud. If you want to, you can. You might just want to speak them from your, your head to God. And then if you do that, and if you bold enough and brave enough, I'd love to just, I'd love for you to come out your chair and just shake my hand. I want to hug you and tell you to just, you know, you've made the greatest decision today. If you don't, that's fine. But if you do, I just love that because I'd love to just pray over you, pray with you. So today, if you're here and you want to make this decision, just repeat these words in your heart after me. Just say, God, I thank you that you're real.
I thank you that I'm here today. Lord, I need your help. I ask you to forgive me for the things that I've done knowingly and unknowingly. I want to connect with you today in a real, tangible way. I ask by faith right now that you would come into my heart and transform my heart from the inside out. God, I want to experience real peace, real joy, real mercy, and a tangible forgiveness today. Fill me right now with your love that you have for me. And I ask you, God, to help me to walk in the right pathway that you have mapped out for me. I ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now just keep your eyes closed, your heads bowed. If you're here this morning and you... I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to hug you. I'd love to cry with you. <laughs> just invite you to come forward now. And as the guys just lead in in our song, just maybe stay seated. And just allow God to just continue to minister to people this morning.
we just thank you for your incredible love for us. Thank you. pray that wherever we're at with you this morning Lord like Greg shared this morning that you would just help us day by day moment by moment to cry to you from our hearts because God this isn't about rules it's not about regulations it's not about a service or a building but it's about being in love. Help us to be in love with you more and more and receive more and more of your incredible love. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to ask some questions, if there was something that Greg said that maybe you're struggling to to understand or you disagree with, please feel free to come and chat to us. Um, If you wanted to come forward but it was too scary to come forward while everyone was watching, please come and see Greg, uh, myself, uh, Sandra and the the, um, black and white here, Kirk or Mel, um, Clay, Simon, would love to chat with you. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. If you need prayer for any reason, feel free to come forward over here. There'll be a team waiting. And if you'd you'd like to head up to the New Friends Lunch uh, because you'd like to connect in, please do upstairs. If you come out the door, up these stairs, along the hallway, into the room theatre too. We'll see you up there. Have an amazing afternoon. Come out tonight, 5 p.m. Greg's going to be sharing again. See you tonight.